I know we had uh, our youth minister, Ian, graduated from college yesterday. Isn't that great? Uh, <laughs> uh, so we're, we're glad about that. Ian will start full-time with us this week, and uh, he's preaching next Sunday. I want to encourage you to come and uh, hear what God has to say through him. I'm excited to uh, hear him preach for us. You know, I love preaching through a book uh, simply because there is no doubt where I'm going to be next. Monday or Tuesday rolls around, I'm not frantically searching the scripture trying to find what I'm going to preach next Sunday or or searching the internet trying to find a sermon. Uh, No, it's, it's right there in front of me what I'm going to preach the next Sunday. And really, how can I go wrong by preaching to you straight through the Word of God? I mean, this is His message. This is His Word for us. I'm not preaching to you my message or my opinions. I'm not preaching to you just on my favorite topics, nor am I hammering on my pet peeves. Rather, we are just going straight through the Word of God, in this case, the book of Acts, and we're trusting that God is going to speak to us. And so I I would ask that when you get up on a Sunday morning, I was thinking about this just this morning as I was uh, looking my sermon over, I, I would love it if when you get up on a Sunday morning, as you roll out of bed, that you would just simply pray this simple prayer. Lord, would you speak through Kevin today? And would you speak to me? That would be a wonderful prayer for all of us to pray. Or next Sunday, would Lord, would you speak through Ian? And would you speak to me? May that be a prayer that we get into the habit of praying. And may we come here with open hearts and open ears. Because if we do, I think God will speak to us. God will move in our heart and in our life. I've had a sense this last week that this message today is a very important message for us to hear. Uh, And I, I say that very humbly and very seriously. I believe that this message today could change our lives. In fact, it, it could it could change our family life. And, and the reason I'm saying this is primarily I'm speaking to the men today. This message is for our men. I am challenging each and every one of you to become men like Stephen. That's that's who we're looking at today. If you would become a man like Stephen, it will change your life, it would change your family life, and it's going to have a an effect upon our church too. We're in Acts chapter 6 and 7 today, even into the first few verses of chapter 8. We're not going to read all of those verses, obviously, because we wouldn't have time to do that. But uh, we're going to make reference to some of those verses along the way. I'm encouraging you to have your Bibles open to those chapters in Acts. First, I want you to see the man. The man, Stephen. He was described as a man full of faith 
and full of the Holy Spirit. His name, you remember, chapter 6, it's on a list. His is the first of seven names on a list that the congregation has selected and they have submitted these names to the apostles. The apostles are uh, giving their stamp of approval. They're giving their thumbs up. These seven men are going to be responsible for helping the Jewish widows, the Hellenistic Jewish widows, in the distribution of food. You may remember from Acts chapter 6, the apostles were committed to staying focused on praying and preaching the word of God. They were simply saying this, we cannot get sidetracked with a food distribution program. Now that's not downplaying the food distribution program. It was simply elevating the importance of of what they were doing, they were committed to praying and preaching the Word of God. Those were the priorities for the apostles. And so they understood the importance of delegating. They delegated this food program to some very responsible men. Stephen was one of them. These men were were needing to be men of good reputation, the Scripture says. Chapter 6, verse 3. They needed to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. They also needed to be ones whom the apostles could put in charge of this task. In other words, these fellows needed to be responsible. They needed to be leaders. They, they needed to be able to oversee or administrate this program. And don't forget the, 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 the responsibility itself. They were to serve tables. It says that in verse 2 of chapter 6. And so you have leaders who are not above serving. That's Stephen. And and we're we're putting together here on the screen a list of of the qualities or the characteristics of Stephen. Uh, There's more that we'll add add to this list. Verse 8 of chapter 6 says that he was full of grace and power. He was performing great wonders and signs among the people. You read on there in chapter 6, verse 9, there are some men in the local synagogue. They're raising up against Stephen. They're arguing with him. Verse 10, it says, they were not able to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so we could say it this way. Stephen was a witness and a defender of the faith. I want us to look at this word arguing. For just a moment, because I I don't want you to be misled by this word. I don't think for a minute that Stephen was arguing with them. Now, they may have been arguing back towards him. They were not happy with what he was saying. You know, in in my mind, when I hear the word arguing, I get a a picture uh, of Fox News, and there's one person on this side of an issue and another person on this side of an issue. Maybe it's a political issue, and maybe it's, what's your opinion about Hillary or what's your opinion about Donald Trump? And they'll put one person here that just loves them and on the other side, a person that can't stand them and they are arguing back and forth with each other. You've seen that. That's usually when I turn it off to ESPN. I don't like that. Because what, what you're seeing is 
two people who are rock solid in their opinion and they're not open to a different opinion. They're simply interested in voicing their own opinion and the only way to do that is to talk loud and belligerent and and to be insistent and rude. You don't listen to the other person's voice. I don't think that's what was going on here. Simply because the Bible warns us against that. We are not to be argumentative in our witnessing. Rather, according to 1 Peter chapter 3.15, we are to be gentle. We are to be reverent. We are to be respectful of people. Philippians 2.14 says that we are to do all things without arguing. Now, I, I can believe that the people on the other side, those who were hearing what Stephen had to say and they didn't like it, they were arguing back at him. They were rude towards him. And we know that to be true because of the end result. I mean, they were so rude they and overwhelmed with their emotions and their out-of-control spirit that they end up killing Stephen. So that we know what they were like. I think Stephen was different than that. He was of a different spirit. He was of the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that he wasn't being firm in what he believed and being uh, straightforward. Sure, he was. But he wasn't arguing. The word argue in the original language here can mean to question one with the other, to reason together, to examine together, to to discuss. Stephen was there to present the truth to these people, but his audience was tough. I mean, they were tough in a bad way. And we'll see that in the text. My point here is Stephen was a very special person. And we could, we could take this list uh, that we had of Stephen. You have it in your bulletin if you're looking at your notes. Uh, this list, we could preach through this for a number of weeks just talking about his character qualities. This is the kind of person that we need to be striving to be. I think Stephen's character could be summed up by verse 5 in chapter 6 that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Think about that, guys, particularly. Would you strive to be a man who is full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit? And if we could be that kind of person, then I think all these other qualities that Stephen had in his life, they would would come. I want to challenge you to be that kind of person. And I particularly want to challenge the young men in our church to have this be true of you. We need the young men in our church to rise up and be like Stephen. We need some spirit-filled, faith-filled, wise responsible leaders who are not above serving and who are so passionate in their witness for Jesus that they are willing to die for him. 
Those are the kind of men that we need in our church. And I'm particularly calling out our young men today that you would be that kind of person, that you would pray about this, that you would desire to be a man like Stephen. Our church needs you. Oftentimes I will wake up early in the morning and and I will just lay there. And it seems like those are the times often that, that the Lord just is speaking to me. He's moving in my heart and in my spirit in those early morning hours. And uh, this last Wednesday at 5.30, I lay there in my bed and I knew that I was going to be coming into my office early that morning and I was going to be working on this sermon and I was just thinking about this message. And my mind drifted back over the years to some of the men who have led our church. Men who have gone on to be with Jesus. Men who have been full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And I thought about men like Tom Armstrong. I thought about men like Bill Wallace and Clyde Brooker. And for you who have been around here a number of years, you you know those men. Those, those men were leaders in our church and you know them to be men of the Holy Spirit and men of faith. And, and my mind drifted from them to those who are leading our church now. Men like Gene Winter. Men like Jerry Witt. Bob Hirons. Doug Niemeyer. Brad Cowan. And just to name a few, these are some of our elders now who are leading our church. And they are men full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. But you think about those men that I just mentioned to you. They're getting older, aren't they? And I'm, you know, we can chuckle at that, but that is the truth. They're getting older. Now, I think they've got a, a lot of good years left in them and that they will be leaders of our church But my mind went from them to who's going to rise up in their place. Who's going to come up from amongst our young men who will be leaders in our church like Stephen, men who will be full of the Holy Spirit, men who will be full of faith, who from amongst our young men are going to be that next generation of leaders. And I know they're out there. I know you are out there right here this morning. There are some of you in this room that that could be that next group, that next group of leaders full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. We need you. We need you. This church needs you. To be men who are having in your heart a desire to be a leader of the Lord's church, but not one who 
rules over, rather, one who is not above serving. You, you have it in your heart to serve. Not just being a ruling elder, but a humble, serving leader in the Lord's church. To be responsible. To be wise. I mean, these are the, these are the qualities that were listed there in Acts chapter 6 about Stephen. To be wise, and I'm thinking, how is it that a person grows in their wisdom? Well, you ask God for it, and you fill yourself up with the book of wisdom. You fill yourself up with this book. You you dive deep into this book, and you read it, and you study it, and you fill your mind with it. It will transform you. It will renew your mind. It will make you wise. We need those kinds of young men who will be that next generation of Stevens in this church. And for, a, for these few moments, I simply am crying out to you young men to be Stephen. Let me give to you the message. We've looked at the man, Stephen. What about his message? Did you know this is the longest sermon recorded for us in the book of Acts? According to one source I was looking at, you can take three of Paul's sermons that are, re- that are recorded for us in Acts, all three of those at the, towards the mid to tail end of the book of Acts. You put all three of those together, and still they're not as long as the sermon that Stephen preached that day. And then maybe it dawned on me, Stephen's long sermon got him killed. <laughs> Maybe I ought to learn. <laughs> now, I read Stephen's sermon. I've been reading Stephen's sermon for a couple of weeks. Over and over and over. Just trying to get it into my head. What, it, what is he saying? What is it that got those people so upset? And I, I have to be honest with you, at first as I was reading through the sermon, it, it, was, it wasn't just all coming together. It wasn't being completely clear to me. But I began, I began to pray and, Lord, show me here what, what this sermon's all about. And actually read a couple of commentaries on this sermon. And then it just seemed like the door opened and the sun began to shine in brightly. And it was making sense to me. This truly is and was a great sermon that Stephen preached. There's so much in it. To begin with, it's a history lesson. A history lesson that covers 2,000 years. And particularly, it has to do with the heritage of the Jewish people. You know, everybody likes a history lesson, particularly when it's about your heritage. And that's, that's where these people were at. To begin with, as Stephen began to preach... 
I mean, he had them right here in the palm of his hand. And they were with him on every word. They were hanging with him and what he was saying. He started out talking to them about Abram. Abraham, the father of our faith. And God called Abram to leave the land that he had settled in and and to go to an unfamiliar land to just pick up everything. Abram, just leave behind everything, your family, your, your, the land that you're, you're familiar with, the home you've grown up in, leave it all behind. And you, you go, and I'll show you where I want you to go. There was no identification as to where he was going to land. God just said, Abram, I want you to go. And what did Abram do? He went. He picked up his own belongings, his his flocks and herds and his wife, Sarah, and away they went, left mom and dad behind. Well, and God said, Abram, I'm going to give you a son. And I'm going to I'm going to build a great nation from you. Well, Abram didn't have a son yet. And so everything that God told him, Abram simply had to take it on faith. And God, over a long period of time, kept every single one of his promises. And and to this point, the people are with Stephen. They're saying amen to what he's having to say. He moves from talking about Abraham to begin talking about Joseph, another great hero of the faith. And he he reminded the people that were listening to him that God had raised up Joseph as a deliverer of his family during those years of famine. And they're saying, yeah, yeah, you're right, he did. Great story. But then he reminded them, before before he ever became a deliverer, and before he was ever in Egypt, first, he was... Rejected by his brothers. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. He was rejected by his brothers. And so you remember that. That's a key point of this sermon. The fact that Joseph was rejected by his brothers. And so he moves from Joseph to start talking about Moses. And Moses, God raised up Moses to be a deliverer of God's people. Yeah, you're right, Stephen. You are right. He was a great deliverer. And and then Stephen says, but you remember, Moses was rejected by his people too. He was rejected twice by his people. First time he was rejected by them, he was still in the house of Pharaoh. And you remember he strolled out of the house one day and he found an Egyptian taskmaster beaten and a a Hebrew slave. And and Joseph intervened. He ended up killing that Egyptian taskmaster. The next day he came back and he found two Hebrew slaves fighting with one another. And he tried to intervene with them and tell them to stop fighting. And they, they, they rejected him. They said, what are you doing? Are you a judge over us? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian taskmaster yesterday? And off Joseph went, or off 
Off Moses went. He ran. He ran from Egypt. He he was rejected by his brothers. He ran into Midian. And he was in Midian for 40 years. Kind of putting his life together. He'd gotten a wife and had some kids. And and, uh, he's he's, uh, uh, a shepherd. And he sees a burning bush in Midian. And he goes to the burning bush, you remember. And God calls him to go back into Egypt. And he eventually does. He, he, with some persuasion, he goes back into Egypt. And he delivers his people from slavery, from Pharaoh's hand, by the mighty hand of God. And he leads them out of Egypt. But the whole journey over the next 40 years was terribly hard for him. Because they rejected his authority. They rejected his leadership over them. They begged to go back into Egypt. So do you see, they rejected Joseph. They rejected Moses. And next, Stephen moves in his sermon to be talking about the prophets and how the prophets, each and every one of them, brought the message of God, and yet the people of Israel, what? Rejected them. Didn't want to listen to them. And not only did they reject the prophets, they rejected the message that the prophets were preaching, and a good part of that message was, one day there's going to be a Messiah come, and He will deliver you. And they rejected not only the prophets themselves, they rejected the message of the Messiah that was being preached. And little did his listeners know that as Stephen is bringing them along in this sermon, that he's getting ready to stick the sword right into their hearts. And he does that at the end of chapter 7. Verses 51 and 52, he says, You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. And he calls them stiff-necked. And he calls them uncircumcised in heart and ears. Oh my goodness. It was no longer a nice little history lesson. It had become a personal accusation. These very people had rejected the Son of God just as their forefathers had rejected the prophets and and Moses and and Joseph. And though all of this was true, they didn't want to hear it. They weren't interested in hearing what Stephen was, was saying. His finger pointed at them. It made them seething mad. It had gotten too close. He had gone to meddling. It was too personal. And sometimes the truth hurts. And they didn't want to hear it. 
as we're talking about the message, let me just give you two threads that run through this whole sermon of Stephen's. Two threads of truth. One thread is this. God is not contained by land boundaries. And of course, the Jewish people had become so proud of their homeland and their holy city of Jerusalem. In their mind, they're thinking, this is where God lives. This holy city of Jerusalem, it's His city. This is the promised land. This is where God dwells. And Stephen, in his sermon, reminds them that God is not contained to just the boundaries of Israel. Because you remember, God spoke to Abram in the land of the Chaldeans, which is Babylon. And God spoke to Moses at the burning bush in Midian. And God spoke to Moses again on top of the mountain, the holy mountain, Sinai. God is not limited to a land mass. He is much bigger than the box that the Jewish people had tried to put him in. And there's another thread of truth that runs throughout this whole sermon. Not only that God is not limited to a land boundary, also God is not so small that he can be housed by a building called the temple. And of course the Jews thought their temple was the house of God. And Stephen says in verses 48 to 50, this is part of his sermon, he says, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Was it not my hand which made all these things? You can't house God in a building. You can't limit him to a land boundary. This is Stephen's sermon. And by the time he's finished and he's pointed out to them not only these two threads of truth, but how they had rejected time and time again the truth of God brought to them. And finally they had rejected even the Son of God. I mean, it was at a breaking point for them. They could not contain themselves any longer. And they came forward for the invitation. Uh Oh, but it wasn't in repentance. They came forward, all right, with their hands outstretched to grabbing and to dragging and to stoning. He is the first martyr of the Lord's church. And don't neglect to see verse 58. The tail end of that verse that says that Stephen's murderers laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And it's just Luke's way of introducing us to a very notorious extremist that we are about to get to know. So let me give to you some applications of this sermon. 
And this, this will go quickly. Application number one, God can use very difficult things to work good for the kingdom. Take note, it was the persecution of Stephen and his death that caused all of the, the Jews, the Christian Jews, to scatter. And they scattered across the world at that point. And they took with them the message of Jesus and they shared that good news with them, with people everywhere they went. And so, to this point, the gospel message has been held in Jerusalem. But Jesus didn't want it to be held in Jerusalem. He said, go, you shall be my witnesses into the uttermost parts of the world. But everybody was kind of enjoying the company of one another and the fellowship and the, 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 the joy of being together as Christians. It was a wonderful thing. And so it's like a mother eagle who's doing this to her little eaglets who are in the nest. It's time to get out of the nest, kids. And so the persecution, which was a bad thing, actually God used it to... Spread the kingdom news all across the world. God can take any situation which is hard and He can work good from it. That's just the way He is. You've heard this phrase, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. It's the truth. The church, as the blood of Stephen was sprinkled upon it, the church multiplied. Let me give to you a second application. Stephen's death was a lesson for the Christians that even in death, the Christian wins. God will not abandon us. His grace is Sufficient. There is no problem that is bigger than our God. And though they may kill the body, they cannot kill the soul. The Christian wins ultimately. And, and all you have to do is read the end of Stephen's life and how it ended and the forgiveness that he offered and the glory of Jesus shining upon his face. And you see that ultimately the Christian wins. And lastly, Stephen was willing to preach the truth even when it was unpopular. And we need that. We, from the pew to the pulpit, we need to be willing to preach the truth of God even when it's unpopular. Let's pray together. God, would you raise up from amongst our young men some more Stevens? Would you help us all to just be wholly devoted to you, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name.
maybe if you feel God tugging at your heart today as we sing, maybe you sense, you know, I, I want to be, I want to be a Stephen. I want to be a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. I invite you to just come up and pray. You don't have to talk to me or Doug or Jerry. If you want to talk to us, we're there to talk to you. But if you just want to come up and you talk to God and you say, Lord, I want to be this kind of man. I want Whether you use me as a leader in the Lord's church, I, I want to be this kind of man. You're welcome to come up and pray about that. All of us are welcome to do that. Let's sing together.